Hey, what's up, guys? Clint McGill here, and thanks for being on the podcast with me today. And uh, today's guest, we have Joey Myers from the HittingPerformanceLab.com. And uh, fun fact, Joey is a Fresno boy, and uh, I'm in Fort Worth, Texas now, but I grew up in the Fresno area, Chowchilla to be specific. But uh, Joey and I, it was funny, we'll, we talk about it here in the interview. This is an interview from uh, the Youth Baseball Summit that we did about a year and a half ago. And uh, anyway, we'll touch on it there that we had a bunch of mutual friends, but we didn't know each other. So um, so anyway, it's been kind of fun to watch his work online. And uh, if you're not uh, familiar with the Hitting Performance Lab, they do a lot of different hitting experiments. And, you know, it's very... Um, I'd say cutting edge just because it's, you know, they're, they're measuring things, right? Like it's not just, oh, theory, uh, swing up, swing down. It's like, hey, we're trying things, we're measuring it, we're throwing things out that didn't work, and uh, we're sharing all the findings with everybody. So just a really cool resource for everyone to check out. And in this interview, you'll hear that, you know, Joey has a background, has a very big interest in uh, the, the way the human body moves. And you'll hear him use words like locomotion and, uh, you know, the spinal engine, things like that, and how we can use, you know, swing principles that align with the human body principles, if that makes sense. And so in this interview, you'll hear Joey talk about a bunch of different topics. Uh, The springy fascia is very interesting, how we can kind of use this uh, component of our body that most of us really don't even know exists. I know I didn't know it existed. And uh, use it, you can kind of compress and stretch it to create almost a trampoline effect, so to speak. And uh, Joey talks about that and also talks about hand pressure on your batter's grip. And this one was fascinating because this was a problem that my son had and they call it racing back elbow. A lot of people call it different things where, I don't know, when your back elbow, when you go to swing, it kind of tucks in inside like your belly button. It's like that back elbow comes in way too far and it just destroys any power that a hitter may have. And it's hard to tell a kid to stop doing it. And there's a special way to hold the bat, like squeezing certain uh, fingers. And I'll let, let you wait to hear Joey talk about it more. Uh, that fix it fixes it almost instantly, right? It's really pretty interesting. So um, anyway, before we get to the interview, let's go with the Bulletproof Hitter review of the week. Hi, Clint. Just want to say thanks for the Bulletproof Hitter lessons. My nine-year-old son, Aiden, kills it in the batting cages and struggles during games. He has a fear of getting hit and steps out when the pitcher throws the ball. By the time we got through half the lessons, he stopped stepping out. We completed the lessons and he went five for six this weekend and 10 for 17 since he started the lessons. His confidence is through the roof. The biggest key was keeping self one busy during the at-bats. Your tips really work. You're doing great work and I'll recommend you to my friends. Thanks a lot, Dave. Well, Dave, thanks so much. Thanks for spreading the word too. I appreciate it. Love that your son's having some success there. And uh, anyway, continued good vibes there. And without further ado, let's get to the interview with Joey Myers. Joey, thank you so much for being here today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Clint. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So I read your 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 book, The Catapult Loading System, and uh, just really, really impressive stuff. I mean, it's um, you know stuff that you're really not seeing taught anywhere from from um, and from just a really interesting perspective too, you're talking about, um, you know, just the language used. You're talking about the spinal engine, and you're referencing, you know, uh, I don't even know what 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 you would call it, sports physiology type books. I mean, the supple leopard wow. from yeah. Kelly Starrett. You know what I mean? Like, tell me a little bit about your background with um, with that sort of, um, you know, with, with that education that you have there. Yeah. So what people find interesting, I think, about me is that I was a criminology grad. 
I was a law enforcement criminology grad. And when I completed college, I needed to do a six month internship unpaid. And I just, I just didn't like it. That's not where I wanted to go after this is after baseball, after I was done with it in college. Right. baseball. And so I, I really liked, I knew baseball was one of my biggest love, which wasn't around anymore. I wasn't able to play it. I could start coaching it. The other thing I really loved was fitness. So going from probably 11 years old, 11, 12 years old, all the way through college, I love fitness. I love training. So I was like, Hey, I, you know, I could get paid doing this. So I started to dive into different books having to do with fitness and more so the corrective side of fitness. A friend of mine who was training had been training for probably five years at the time. He said that he was a, he told me that you got to have a supplemental certification besides your normal one to train people. Cause he said, it's just, it's better. You're more marketable. So I got one in yoga. I got yoga certified probably earlier than a lot of those certifications you were talking about earlier. And right. that kind of put me down the rabbit hole of corrective science, of corrective fitness science and things like that. What well, wasn't until my five-year-old son was born five years ago, he just turned five, December 20th of this year, that I started to, I was having some inside knee tightness on my right knee. So the inside of my right knee was, was just chronically tight and I tried stretching it. I tried doing different things and, and some things would help for the day, but then it would come back the next day. So it just got me going down that path of like, okay, what, what can I do to fix this? And led me to Thomas Meyer's book, Anatomy Trains, which at some point I'm sure we're related on the family tree, but I don't, you know, I don't know him. And so I started reading his book during the wee hours of the morning while waking up with the sun six times a night, I would just start taking little snippets of reading while waiting for my wife to get done with feeding and then get back to sleep. And so that rabbit hole started just started getting deeper and deeper. So I, after reading that book, it got me into Dr. Serge Grakovetsky's The Spinal Engine and Dynamic Body by Dr. Eric Dalton. So those three books were the big books that really, really got me going down this path. And again, I mentioned I was only a crim major in school, so I wasn't a kines major. I, this isn't what I was formally taught in school, but I have this passionate curiosity for learning how the, the human body moves and, and how to break it down. And I think that's the key. I have a friend, say, uh, Eliseo, who's a black belt in jiu-jitsu, teaches locally here. And, and I, I played soccer with him back in the day in high school. And and uh, he he it's interesting because we get together and we start talking about human movement principles where I'm talking about optimizing human performance. He's talking about breaking the body down. Very, very two different perspectives, but we're using the same rules to figure out how to get a different result. And it's so cool to talk to him. We start talking about to something like the one joint rule where, you know, we get the head to go this way or this way or chin to chest or going up without the spine moving with it versus bending this way where the head follows the spine. So in jujitsu, they're trying to take the ear, put it into the shoulder to break the body down so they can move the body wherever they want to move it. So part of that rule, breaking that rule in hitting is if you got a hitter like say a Bryce Harper, who left-handed, it'd be reversed for the righty, but Bryce Harper at impact has his left ear into his left shoulder. So that's gonna cause some, believe it or not, with how Bryce Harper does, how, how well he does, that's gonna cause some force uh, bleeding or bleeding force at impact versus keeping that ear off the shoulder. We, we say in fitness or corrective fitness that the, the shoulders are ear poison. So we don't want the shoulders coming up into the ears or the ears going into the shoulders when we're doing something heavy or trying to be optimized. 
Uh, another good, good example is Andrew McCutcheon. He was chin to chest guy at Impact. You, you could actually he would he would be so violent with that head. Bam! You'd see his, the the visor of his helmet would actually come down over his eyes briefly and come back up. And recently, over the last couple of years, I've seen that it looks like he's actually pounding that out of his swing, and he's got a, a lot more. He's got less head movement in terms of this. Like the we say, yes movements are bad in hitting. Uh, saying no when you're tracking is okay. Uh, those movements with the head. So um, that's kind of the background of where I've come from. It's all, I basically re-engineered the swing. I, I tried to put aside a lot of the stuff I was taught growing up. Some of, some of it was okay, but a lot of it was backwards of what I teach now. I've, I've been told I teach backwards. It's actually the other way around. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. You know, I mean, so many times you hear um, you know, people just kind of regurgitating the same thing. It's not necessarily that it was wrong, but I do think it kind of gets misinterpreted a little bit the further it goes down the road. And, um, you know, that was one part of the, the book, the catapult loading system that I thought was interesting. You had some photographs of a kid. There's an exercise that uh, he has somebody do where they test their strength with their arm based mm -hmm. on where their head position is. And obviously they're much stronger when their neck was, was in a tight position. Right. So, I mean, when you talk about bleeding, um, you know, it's a lot of this stuff kind of starts sounding woo woo after a little bit, like, Oh, what is this talking about? But then you kind of see it and you're yeah. like, okay, wow, that's, uh, that's really interesting, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, so what, why don't we go ahead and get started, um, with the catapult loading system? I mean, if somebody's unfamiliar with this, what, um, what exactly is that? How could you break that down for us? So I think the overarching theme in, in any, any of my online products or in the book is that we're looking at human movement principles that are validated by real science. And I said science before, but some people on the socials will say, well, everybody says, uh, talks about science, that their stuff's backed by science. Well, I'm talking about real science, not bro science. We call it bro science or pseudoscience, right? So this is all backed by real science and it's most of it's biomechanical. So we're talking about with the catapult loading system, we're talking about a specific type of material material in the body called fascia. I call it springy, springy fascia. Now, most people and hitting instructors will teach based on bones and muscles. So they and even Donaldson has said this and it's not it's not totally it's not incorrect or anything. It's about the half truth that the body's made up a bunch of rubber bands. Well, it's actually made up a bunch of springy glue is 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 more accurate so springy fascia is like a cotton candy like material or spider webby like material that your bones and muscles float in and gives muscles their shape okay. it is to the human body like steel is to the building industry so steel does bend but it resists uh, change in shape and like i mentioned it's like a glue type of material that had that holds everything in place so if you took out all the fascia in your body and it also includes connective tissues. So, you know, in the knee, people talk, there's the, um, the different tendons in the knee or the elbow or, or the wrist or anything like that. That's considered a, a fascia, a type of fascia. Got it. Wound a lot tighter. <clears throat> and if you took all the fascia out of the body and just had the, mon the, the bones, muscles, the organs, the circulatory system, like all the veins and everything in the central nervous system, everything would fall to a heap on the ground. So that fascia, if you were to see just the fascia, take everything else out and just the fascia and you saw a buddy walking down the street, you could see their facial expressions and you can also see how they're walking. You can identify them by that, by those characteristics. Okay, gotcha. So that, that's how prevalent that the fascia is. So this catapult loading system book is all about these compression tension forces that are springy fascia because those forces are acting on the body at all times, whether you're standing there, whether you're walking, whether you're you're swinging a bat, throwing a ball, they're acting on your body at all times. 
and so what we what we try and do in the book is look at and, and delve into how to optimize human performance how do we how do we compress that material how do we load it and how do we unload it and i think the key the other key component is besides the performance side but also how do we make the swing safe because there are a lot of swings if, if you might have noticed on twitter that people put and, and i i troll more twitter than i do facebook um there are a lot of swings that instructors are putting out that are i'm just looking at the holes how many holes in lower backs that we're going to be getting in the next five to ten years because of how arch so we talked about the one joint rule with the head right the head positioning and you mentioned the test and this is a test that i do with all my hitters that work on this with their head you know we put the arm straight out and they splay the fingers and then you know have the different head positions and we test on how how uh, they can resist me bending their arm right bending them at the elbow right so a lot of these hit, these hitting coaches out there, it's all about hips, 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 you know, uh, fire the hips, thrust the hips, get the hips, go hips, 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 hips. I have never mentioned hips in the last five years of my teaching. Since I've been working on this stuff, I never mentioned hips to my hitters ever. I have never done that. And I can, I can swear on my firstborn that I've never, I've never mentioned hips. And it's, <laughs> and it's all, the secret is in preloading the torso. And a lot of people don't like this because now it's kind of sounds like hitting's moving more towards linear because you have the coach Lottas that are working with Justin Turner. And uh, I think even teacher man is, is more uh, like a linear approach. So these guys are not really liking the rotation. Well, I think the swing is a little bit of, of, of all of that. So the beginning of the swing, you have a, a slight rotation uh, in, so you have a preloading of the torso, that springy fascia. And then you have a linear element in the same spot. So you've got your stride is towards your target, right? So you have some linear, you have some rotational there. Then as you start the swing, it's all rotational. There is no linear. There shouldn't be any linear. Right. But these people that say there shouldn't be any rotation is ridiculous because you're standing sideways and all hitters, no matter if they're seven, year old, seven years old or 24 years old or 28 years old, whatever, they all have to turn their upper half sternum facing impact. They all have to turn. There is rotation. There has to be rotation. There's rotation and locomotion and walking. There's rotation. That's why your opposite arm and your opposite leg come forward when you walk. Your right arm and your left leg. Your left leg and your right arm. You know, it's there has to be rotation. That is spinal engine. That's the spinal engine. That that's how we move. That's how we locomote. Uh, the rotation and then the last element. Once we're rotating, we get the barrel on the plane of the pitch. Then it's linear. Then we want the the barrel to kind of take a linear form depending on pitch location. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. So, um, so one of the keys to what you're talking about is how we build up the proper tension with our fascia or, I mean, does that feel like, you know, how you, how you kind of explain it in your book is you kind of take that front lead shoulder down mm -hmm. to your, down to your, your hip area and with a little bit of a tilt. So is mm -hmm. that basically like feeling a lot of, um, building up all that, that pressure and the fascia in your back is basically, is that where you're, is that kind of the key to what we want to do is make sure that there's proper tension built back there? Is that a, a decent understanding of that? Yeah, that's a decent understanding. And, and kind of getting in the weeds a little bit, if you read Thomas Meyer's book, Anatomy Trains, there's, he discusses about eight different trains of, of fascia and everything's connected. So from your eye line, forehead going back is actually connected to the bottom of your feet, to the ball of your foot. So going behind your heel and then attaching to your toe. So everything's connected. So that's, you have lines that come across your chest uh, that attach your pinky across your chest. You have lines that go your thumb, kind of like a bird's wings. If you spread out a bird's wings, you have lines that come across the, the top part of the forearm, across the bicep, across the back to the other side. You have lines that crisscross. 
across your belly. You have lines, deeper lines that are go straight down the front, straight down the back. So basically eight different lines. So what we do is to, in order to compress that tissue, like you said, you have to take that front shoulder. Now we're talking about hitters here. It's, you know, might be different for other non-rotational athletes, but you're taking that front shoulder and you can either bring it and tuck it in behind the front hip, front, behind the front hip bone. You can tuck it in there. So you're getting both the downward shoulder angle and you're showing the numbers to the pitcher. Or you can think about it as like you're trying to take the front shoulder and bring it in towards the back hip. So you think about your think about this system as an X on your chest and an X on your back, connecting your shoulder to your opposite hip. So in order to load it, what we want to do is we want to take one leg of the X and shorten it. So for a righty, we're taking the, the left shoulder, we're shortened, we're bringing it in towards the, the right hip. That's going to shorten that leg of the X. While the other side, the other leg of the X, the front hip to the back shoulder actually should lengthen. So that leg of the X lengthens, the other one shortens, and it's the reverse on the back. So if we're talking about the front shoulder and the back hip getting short, so we're, we're moving our shoulder towards our back hip to landing, the same line on the back is getting longer. So it's, it's this kind of yin and yang type of, type of relationship where one's shortening, one's lengthening, and on the back, it's, rever it's the reverse. And that's to landing. So we want our hitters to get to landing, show as much as you can to landing without losing vision with the back eye, which seems to be the, the biggest obje objective for, from this is, oh, you're turning away, you're going to lose vision. Well, you don't have to lose vision. We have what I call the Goldilocks golden rule. So you can do it too much. You cannot be doing it at all. We want to do what's just right. Right. And a lot of these coaches get that mixed up. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. And one thing that you mentioned too on there that I hadn't heard before was talking about hunching your back. <laughs> and uh, one, it was so funny because the, the reference, one of the reference that you used, uh, you said Ben Zobris and, uh, and Hunter Pence. I played with both of those guys when I had uh -huh. a minute in the minor leagues. They were both teammates when we were with the Astros. Oh. Uh, but Hunter, I mean, his back was, I mean, just like naturally, he was arched. And this guy had more pop than I, like, every, I mean, you know, it's professional baseball. Everybody's hitting the ball hard. You yeah. know, like literally just like ripping it. And then he gets up and it's a different planet. Like he just was just crushing balls. And uh, after kind of hearing your explanation, I was like, you know what? He did have just a ton of torque and kind of had an arched, uh, kind of a hunched back. Can you tell us a little bit about a hunchback versus a straight back? Mm -hmm. um, what your thoughts are on there? Is that just stretching that fascia out a little bit more? Yeah. And to take this to a higher level, we go back to gymnastics. The gymnasts are the best athletes in the world, arguably, arguably the best athletes in the world. When you got a guy who's never bench pressed in his life, weighs about 140, some, 140 pounds, 19 years old in college with a Charles Poliquin, never bench pressed in his life, puts up 350 pounds first time, never wow. bench pressed in his life. So the best athletes in the world are, um, are using between what we call global flexion, global extension. So global flexion would be like, if you, if you can picture a gymnast, a, a girl that's swinging on a bar, right? You've seen the Olympics. And you see her, she's swinging through. And what you'll see is you'll see her go into a globally arched position. So she'll create like a C shape with her from her head to her toes. And you'll and as she comes forward, as she starts coming back, like with her back flipping the, the opposite way, as she starts going back, what you'll see is a globally arched position. So you'll see the position actually that we want our hitters to start in. You think Ted Williams did this too. Ted Williams started from this position. Barry Bonds started from this position. It's a safer position to go from because what we're doing is when we when we arch or when we when we when we hunch hunch is kind of a negative term but uh, gymnasts call it the hollow position the hollow position because you're creating a hollow or a spoon type of 
type of look to your your chest and your abdominals. You're creating this like spoon, this little indentation with the body, right? So you're clamping the abdominals down. The abdominals are clamping down. The pelvis is going into like a what they would uh, anatomy nerd would call a posterior pelvic tilt. So their pelvis like a bowl of water. It would almost you almost feel like you're spilling water on your heels or or like you're a dog tucking your tail between your legs, right? So Got it's it. that position. Your abs lock down. You posterior rotate your hips. Uh, as long as you don't have like a, a, a an excessive posterior uh, rotated hip, what happens is we take the curve out of that lower back. And when you take the curve out of it, you cause it to uh, decompress. When we arch, we take all those little bony nodules that are in that in that lower back and we start to compress them and we compress all the space between them. So there's no space between them. So you create a lot of pressure. So neutral. If you if you talk to or you listen to Coach Summers, who was the USA men's men's gymnastics coach a while back, who's a former men's gymnastics coach, he says that. He disagrees with a lot of physical therapists out there. This guy was a gymnast himself. Uh, he prides himself on training his clients to be optimized and to be safe because you don't want to, you can burn out gymnasts if you don't have them getting in the right positions, right? And he says that the body isn't made when you move dynamically to be in a neutral position. Mm-hmm. It's not made to be in a neutral position. So a lot of PTs will say, get to neutral, get to neutral, get to neutral because it's the safest spot. Well, in dynamic movement, especially if you look at gymnasts, the best athletes in the world, they are not their The neutral spine position is a pass through. It's not a goal. It's always getting to a global arch to a global ex, uh, extension. It's always moving between those. And that's how you're going to be really, really explosive, really springy with your movements. So. Um, so, yeah. So w- we want to take to a higher standard and look at athletes just like race cars are the kind of the, the the cars that we drive today or is a trickle down from the race cars from nascars to whatever you know all the suspension systems the tires that are being used the braking systems all that stuff at that highest level the race car level gets modified so that we get to drive it it's kind of like they're like guinea pigs the race car drivers are guinea pigs for the extreme side right so we should kind of look at the same thing and say gymnasts who are the race cars of athletes and take and trickle down. Okay, now how can baseball players use that? How can basketball players use that? How can you know so and so use that? So that's that should be our model for what we look at instead of saying, oh well, Ted Williams said this, or oh, Coach Lotta said this. I'm not saying that they're wrong. And I love Ted Williams what he said. I feel like there's a lot of holes that he he wasn't able to fill in because he didn't have all the information. Uh, it was a great right. book. I think he was on the on the right path in the 70s, you know. But there was a lot of information that didn't get filled in. I think that we're able to do now. Yeah, no, that's interesting. You know, the the, the hunch uh, back part of it, and I'll put a photograph of what we're talking about here. Yeah. Ever, you know, no one's ever in, in uh, you know, explained that to me before or even encountered it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you look at a lot of the good hitters that sometimes you do kind of see them from the back, that it's not this, um, you know, I think the opposite way would be like an Aaron Rowan type guy, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. his, uh, you know, like, you see it from the side. Yeah, we're very, you know, the other very way. And there's more than one way to skin a cat, but. Yeah. If you're wanting to maximize power, um, you know, which you're getting a lot of hitters who are who are young, 100 pounders who are hitting the ball 300 feet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're you're tripling guys' uh, weight, take their weight times it by three, and that's suddenly how far they're hitting. I mean, that's a big deal. Yeah, and to be able to maximize the way the body functions is um, is just key. And so being able to look at it from the angle that you do is provides a lot of value there. So yeah, and and I think I think the big the big value in the hunch posture or tucking the tailbone between the legs. I think the big value is in safety 
because I didn't see, I ran a test. I think, I don't know if we had ball exit speed on this test, but we, we tested all the ZEP stuff, like the bat speed at impact and hand speed and stuff. We didn't see a change in hunch versus no hunch. Oh, really? Okay. Speed, hand speed. But we saw a change in angle on uh, attack angle. So that actually increased by, I think, four or five miles an hour or four or five degrees in a positive direction. So that was an interesting find that we saw. But I think what's happening is, you know, 100 pence, his swing is going to be safer on his body than somebody who's in neutral or going into extension. And so, like I mentioned, the lower back isn't made to rotate. It only gets five to 12 degrees of rotation. So when you lock it down, when you bought, we, we call it now bottoming out the pelvic floor. When you do that, you, you get those lower abdominals, the psoas, all those in the lower abdominals, those muscles located in there, the, the transverse, inverse, all that stuff. You get it to lock down the pelvis and you get that lower back to decompress. So now it, it creates an environment now where that lower back is supported. So from a, from a corrective fitness standpoint, the brain is always trying to protect joints. It's always trying to protect. It's, it doesn't care about performance. It doesn't care what you want to do performance-wise. It just wants to make sure that you're safe and you're not going to wear a hole somewhere or you're not going to blow a gasket somewhere, right? right so right. when you remove um, – when I, we were in a car, we were in a truck with, with Derek Mills one summer. He was at Pepperdine, and we were going up to visit him, and it was all – it was like KJ, Kevin James, Mills, me, maybe Scotty Bashir, something like that. We're all in his Silverado truck. So it was the first time I'd ever heard about this. And he goes, hey, there's a there's a thing called a governor in my truck engine. And I go, what the heck's a governor? And he goes, watch this. And so we're on the freeway. We're on the 101, I think it was. And he's going, bam, he goes floor, you know, pedal to the metal in the truck. And so we're in the far left lane, you know, we're in the carpool lane, whatever. So there's, it's pretty, there's no cars in front of us. And we're, right. boom, I mean, he, we see the thing coming up. He goes, watch this, watch the needle, watch the needle, watch the needle. It comes up 90 and then it goes, it just dropped all the way back down to like 70. It's like, what the hell just happened? Uh -huh. And he goes, it's called a governor. And so if you go too fast, it's going to kick your kick your speed back down. And I guess they use them on school buses and things like that to okay. any kind of drivers doing crazy stuff. But our brain has the same thing. So if we have a, a busted shoulder, we got a busted hip, ankle, plantar fasciitis, we got something going on, or we're always hitting from an extended position with our lower back, our brain's going to go, you know what, Clint? I can't allow you to go 100% because I got to protect that lower back. I got to make mm -hmm. sure that you don't blow a gasket there because I'm all about survival. So what happens when you bottom out the pelvic floor is you give a signal to your brain. Your brain goes, ooh, that feels better. Now we're safer. Now if you want to go 100%, you can do it. That's, that's, the, that's the power in this. Oh, wow. Wow, interesting. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating stuff, man. That, uh, you know, being able to take your hacks and, you know, because – I really think there's something to swing with some more intent and, and like, you know, really, you know, getting after it and being able to do that safely is important. So it's interesting. Now, um, one thing I want to talk about too, that really hit home for me um, is with my son. I didn't realize he was doing this. There's a thing called a racing back elbow. And yeah. you talk about beating that with finger pressure and I'll put a picture of my son and his elbow. I mean, like I, seeing it, at, you know, at full speed is kind of hard to even see. But once mm -hmm. I kind of filmed him one time, I was like, oh, my God, look at his elbow. It just so totally tucked in there by his belly button. Yep. And, um, you know, he, he would hit a lot of pop-ups or whatever whenever he would do that. You know what I mean? He'd get into it every now and then. But it was inconsistent. And uh, anyway, you talk about that in, in your book. And how to beat that is with finger pressure. So, uh, so anyway, explain to him a little bit about, about how you use your finger pressure to, uh, to improve that uh, performance and power. 
Yeah. So I, when I started playing around with this, at first it was, I, I had kind of uh, stumbled upon to it, but just stumbled. It wasn't like knowing. And right. so what I, I read something on, uh, was it Homer Kelly? He, he wrote a golf book called The Golfing Machine. And this was back in the 60s. He was an aeronautical engineer for Boeing back during the Great Depression. So he was an engineer and he fell in love with golf. And so he took his engineering principles and applied them to the golf swing. And so one of the things he talks about is creating kind of like a, a grip tension on the handle. So taking the top hand and the bottom hand and feel like you're trying to break the handle between the hands. So you create okay. this tension in the like the backswing for a golfer, you know, as they come to this backswing swing, as you're creating like this tension with the opposite direction with the bottom hand and opposite direction in the other direction with the top hand. So that's how I kind of started with it. And I had a, some pretty good success with a couple of hitters that just looked like they were hitting with the wet newspaper at first. And then once we had them do that, it was like, bam, bam, things were picking up. I didn't have a ball exit speed gun at the time. So I, I could just, the sound was different. Right. Yeah. And then I ran into a friend of mine now, Lee, uh, butcher's last name. I don't know how to still say it. Como it's uh, spelled C O M E A U X. So he's a golf guy. So he teaches golf for a living. He teaches professional golfers and amateurs alike. And he has golfers come from like Australia and Germany to come work with him. And so he was telling me about finger pressure. And so I was teaching it, break the handle between the hands, but he's like, no, no, no. I mean, you can use finger pressure with the bottom hand, but the one that's important is the top hand. So what finger pressure is, is basically squeezing the bottom three fingers of the top hand. And I tell my hitters to squeeze from the moment they pick their front foot up to start their stride. So, so earlier not from, than- So not from the beginning, because I've heard, um, you know, you see people that are in there and they're, they're waiting, yeah. the pitcher is like getting his signs and he, the kid looks like he's freaking out, like his hands are so tight, his white knuckles. Yeah. So it's not yeah. a thing. It's 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 you're nice and loose, and then once you're ready to go, that's when that top hand gets yep. to squeezing, right? Exactly. Yep, you got it. And okay. you know, and the thing is, for my younger hitters, the older hitters maybe could do it earlier, but you're just going to tire their hands out. You want them to yeah. squeeze hard, like an eight out of ten. So when they're when they're actually start their turn, you want that squeeze hard. What's happening is is we're connecting what you're swinging with the bat. We're we're connecting the bat to the midsection in the core, which is is a spinal engine. That's where every, that's where all power comes from. Right. Right. So once you squeeze hard, now these hitters that go racing back elbow, like you mentioned, the elbow races pass into the elbow or uh, towards the belly button is they're disconnected. They don't know because they're swinging such light bats these days and they're getting heavier thanks to this BB core law that just went through. Right. Uh, but the bats are getting a little heavier, but they're still minus eight. I mean, we were swinging minus fives, I think in little league or minus six. Right at whatever so a heavier bat so they they don't learn to swing with if they're not swinging a heavy bat they're gonna most of them are gonna get disconnected now finger pressure doesn't work for all hitters but i noticed that it works for about 60 percent, 60 to 70 percent okay. the ones that it's not the other 40 percent or so there's some other issues in there that we got to work whether it's bottoming out the pelvic floor getting them to actually stabilize the pelvis tuck the tailbone up between the legs like hunter pin style right mm-hmm. um, we can try that uh, finger pressure once those two get connected most likely we can probably fix about 80 percent of the racing back elbows uh, but it's a connection issue and that's why that elbow is racing and, and a lot of hitter hitting instructors out there teach slotting the back elbow slotting the back elbow but those hitters are doing the extreme of slotting they're they're slotting the back elbow but then they're coming past so it's not a I, that's why i've never taught slotting the back elbow i just don't like it because the hitters that i work with and maybe these other coaches are just working with college and pro guys where it's easier, you know, but right. you're not going to see a lot of racing back elbow, especially in college, maybe in high school a little bit, but I, I don't really have a lot of high school hitters that have a race racing back elbow. It's, it's usually the, the exception the to the rule. 
Right. So, so it's, it's more prevalent in the youth, youth age. Get, is that right? Yeah. They get weeded out because those hitters that don't get corrected end up not going on because it's not fun. You know, they're not hitting the ball very hard. Uh, so yeah. So the finger pressure is going to help with connecting the swinging the bat to the ball. And it's the same in weightlifting. If you want to, uh, if you want to get a couple extra reps out or lift a little, a little bit extra weight, you squeeze that dumbbell hard. Like if you're doing a, a farmer's carry, right? So a one-handed farmer's carry where you got a dumbbell or a kettlebell in one arm and you're just basically walking with that heavy weight on one side of your body and you have to counterbalance your shoulders. If you want to be able to last longer or lift more weight, you've got to squeeze those last three fingers. Squeeze hard and keep squeezing as hard as you can. Uh, Pavel, who's the kettlebell guy. I don't know if you ever, uh, the kettlebell guy, Pavel. Uh, yeah. His, his whole thing is that strength is, uh, is a connection between grip and core. So the, be the, the, the better your grip strength, the better you're going to be able to, it's going to be able to communicate with your core. The, the, again, gym, gymnasts are the most, uh, are the most uh, strong with their, with their grips. Yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, and that's something that I I did remember. I I think I um I don't know if I heard him say it or Tim Ferriss. I know he's a big fan of his, where um he was referencing how he teaches how to lift weights and how to get those extra last couple of reps is to squeeze it like you're trying to break that bar in your hands. You know what I mean? And uh, in order to do that, you get those extra few reps, and it works out really nicely. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I've never really heard of that with baseball because baseball so often we hear you know you want to be nice and loose with your hands. You know what I mean? And and you know maybe we were seeing hitters as they're in their stance and they do look nice, nice and loose versus, you know, just really trying to crush that bat once, once it's time to go. Um, you know, cause, cause like you said, all, all we ever hear is like, Hey, you start flexing your muscles, you're going to slow down. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that I really respect about your work is that just uh, coming up with ideas and telling the world about them, you test them and see if they work. Mm -hmm. And when, when people are squeezing with their hand, uh, their bat speed is actually increasing, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So think about it this way too. And this is what I, with my younger hitters, we talk about the boxer, right? The boxer and you know, the, the objection out there is loose hands or fast hands. Mm -hmm. And it sounds true, but if you look at a boxer and the boxer is going to be, you know, you think about when they're, when they're just kind of parrying, figuring out what they're trying to do, they're going to be loose, like in the boxing gloves or the MMA fighter, right? They're going to be loose. They're going to be loose. But the minute they throw a jab, what's going to happen? I mean, think about it. Just the listeners out there can just stand up, get in a boxing position. And before you throw a jab, what are you doing? Are you keeping the hand loose, 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 loose? When you get to the target, then tighten. Or are you, the minute you decide you're going to jab, do you start tightening right away? And then you throw right. it, right? The other thing said with the, with the knockout punch, it's the same idea when you're sitting here and you've got a couple jabs in there to stun your, to stun your opponent. And then you're setting up that knockout punch. Most likely what's going to happen is as you start to pull back, to throw that punch, you're going to start squeezing hard because what has to happen is you've got to connect that to your midsection. That's what's throwing the punch. My point is that the loose hands are not fast hands. If you want a hitter to be a punch and Judy guy or gal, and you want them to just kind of just spray the field and the infield, by all means, go loose, loose, loose as much as you want. But if you want, I, I say the swing is not supposed to be fast. It's supposed to be hard, right? So there's schools around here, around uh, in Fresno that are teaching fast. You've got to be fast, fast, fast. But that's a jab puncher. You're just jab punching all over the field. We want to be a knockout puncher, right? So again, it goes, the finger pressure, there's a, there's a lot of other stories I can tell. But finger pressure from the hitters that I've worked with, we've seen within a session, 
their their racing back elbow from a 10 year old to a 15 year old sophomore in high school or 14 year old yeah 15 year old freshman in high school i think uh, it was gone like within at the end of the session from the start to the end start they had it at the end they didn't gone so it you know you can't argue with results and like you said the the background yeah i know exactly yeah that sounds uh, just sounds fascinating you know what i mean it makes a lot of sense and and uh you know to, to paraphrase in your book here the top two it's kind of have a di different connection uh, the top two fingers, I should say. So those don't have to be crushing as much, but these bottom three are your power fingers. Yeah. And so, you know, working with your son or if you're a ball player, go out and give it a try and just see, you know, and, and really try to squeeze that, the, the barrel and or the handle in half and just see what happens. You know what I mean? And uh, likely you're going to have some decent results. So, um, so Joey, before we leave here, what's, what's something that um, you'd like to, to share with the parents before we go for somebody that's really wanting to increase their performance. Um, what's one tip that you can leave us here with? Okay. So, uh, there's a lot of information on at hittingperformancelab.com. There's a lot of information there. I think I have over 200 something, 230 free blog posts that they can go and I spell it out. I'm not just giving you little, little things and make you go buy a book. Cause some people say, well, you're just trying to get people to buy the book. And you know, the only way you can get your information is if we buy the book. Well, that's not true. You right. can go to my site and actually pull all the information from my book and you can read it all at my site. The only right. problem is it's all over the place. So you're going to have to search and you're going to have to do some homework, but right. I have a lot of D DIYers that go out there and, and they can piece this whole thing together by all the blog posts on my site. So for somebody that's going to hittingperformancelab.com, I would suggest either searching for maybe an idea that you got. So if it's finger pressure, search that so that those articles come up, or I would direct you to go to the topics tab and click the swing experiments button. And that'll put all the swing experiment posts that I put up and read through some of those. That That's because there's so much information, it can be overwhelming. So that's a way to kind of categorize everything so that it is kind of usable data. And once you get through that information, then you'll kind of have some ideas and say, you know what, let me, let me search one joint rule. And it'll give you some other ideas, other rabbit holes, right. That you can, that they can go through. Um, so that's a way to go to the site and, and figure things out. I, I post a lot on Facebook and Twitter, whatever your, you know, whatever that the person that's listening, whatever their mode of social media is to get their information. I post three, at least three posts a day, brand new posts. Usually I'll post a quote, uh, then I'll, I'll post a, a, a blog post, I'll feature a blog post from of those 200 plus. And then I'll, I'll, I'll put a post either of from the Positive Coaching Alliance, love their stuff. For those coaches out there looking to have leagues or maybe just coaches in general or parents looking to, to skin their leagues or their teams in a way that is all based on growth mindset, uh, positivecoach.org, I think is the site, but you can just search positive coaching Alliance. Great resource. Beautiful. Like if you had a league, just to give you an example, they will help you train the, the umpires. So if we're talking baseball, softball here, the umpires, the coaches, the parents, and the players to be all on the same page, growth de development wise, growth mindset wise. So it's a great way because there's a lot of nasty stuff going on out there. As you know, you know, at the lower right. level, it's just, it's, it's just a feeding frenzy. It's, volunteer parents and coaches their hearts in the right place but they just don't have the knowledge and uh it's like parenting so you, you kind of have to parent coach these kids as they're coming up and they got to have a good they have have good guidance so those are the three different posts that i post on facebook a lot of good information there that you can find as for just like a, a straight up tip i think of the whole catapult loading system book 
And again, you don't have to buy the book. You can go to Hitting Performance Lab and you can get as much information as you want. And then when you're ready, you can buy the book. It's only 17 bucks. I'm working on a second right. edition right now. Um, but the one tip I would say is try the finger pressure. Try it. So what I would do is I would have a five swing round. Uh, we can go into that in another call, but uh, I do five swing rounds. I try and keep them short and sweet because uh, for reasons where the game, that's the way the game's played. You're not taking 50 swings in a game. So we want to kind of practice. Uh, we do more rounds of, of small uh, swing, so like five swing rounds, and you can do like 10 of those. You know, if you want to take 50 swings in a day, just keep right. the round short, give them a break, and then take another round of five. So what we do in the five swings is we'd have them first kind of test the finger pressure just to feel it out. So the, the top hand, bottom three fingers, keeping those top two you were talking about, which is basically our, our toothbrushing, our drawing, our um, chopstick fingers, right? Kind of fine motor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so keeping those off the bat, squeezing hard, eight out of 10, starting that squeeze from the hitter when they start their, pick up their front foot, at, all the way through impact. So they're gonna get through impact, they're even gonna get into their follow through and they're going, then they can start to release that pressure. The problem I see, is, especially with hitters that bat right-handed, throw left-handed, is their dominant hands on bottom. So they're gonna want a top hand release early and swing with their bottom hand. Don't wanna do that because you're stronger coming into your sternum so your sternum, middle of your chest, you're stronger coming into it than you are going away from it. So that bottom okay. hand is going away from the sternum. The top hand is coming into it. So we want the top hand. We have to re-educate. If the hitter is a righty but throws left, we got to educate the right hand, the non-dominant hand on what to do to make sure that they're doing the finger pressure. So you take a five round where they're just doing finger pressure. Bottom hand, what I talk about is a butterfly grip pressure. So basically like you're holding a butterfly in your hand that you don't want to crush it and you don't want to let it go. So you don't want to uh, hold the, the handle too tight. You don't want to hold it too loose. You want to hold it just right, like Goldilocks golden rules, what I talked Got about. It. So you around like that, both hands doing that. The next round, what you do is same uh, butterfly finger pressure is the same on all these swings. So what we're going to do on swings one, three, and five is you're going to squeeze the bottom three like normal, like regular finger pressure, keeping these off. On swings two and four, I want you to squeeze the top two, relax the bottom three, two and four swings so the the even swings you do that the odd swings you do our normal finger pressure see how that feels most of my hitters they feel more power with the like 99 percent of my hitters feel more power when they got the bottom three squeezed some of them feel when they t squeeze the top two that they have more control but less power so okay. and these are control fingers your middle finger your pointer and your thumb because there's an overlap on the middle finger uh, are your control fingers. That's why if you were doing brain surgery as a doctor, you'd hold a scalpel with those fingers. You wouldn't hold them with your bottom fingers because they're be too clunky. You wouldn't, you, you wouldn't make the person happy, right? And their family. Right. So, um, so that's what I would do in that round. And then from there, what I would do is I always check in on them. So for the parents out there, always check in because it's not really something you could see, especially if they have batting gloves on. You mm -hmm. can't see how hard they're squeezing. And so you keep checking in with them. You keep checking in with them and asking them, you know, how of those five swings, what were your top two where you're holding the finger pressure? You, you turned it on and you turn it off at the right time. So tell them to give you your top two. And then they'll they'll search in their brain. You know, they're a lot of times they're not used to hearing that, depending on how old they are. And they'll say, okay, well, maybe like one and three was pretty good. If they're doing a, a whole round of the right finger pressure, right? They'll right, say like right. one and three was good. And then I'll ask them, okay, what was the weaker one that you kind of released a little early or you forgot or whatever? And then they can tell you that. So you're trying to get them to practice right and wrong and, and then just kind of throwing things around um, in, in different ways so that so that they, they kind of figure it out. But they're also getting an internal cue as well, you know.
Okay. No, that's fantastic. Yeah, that finger pressure is just uh, really, really fascinating stuff. And and uh, I'm eager to try it with my boy here. See uh, see if we can get some distance. Or uh, uh, you know, we've got a, a blast motion sensor, and so we'll kind of do a little before and after experiment and see what uh, see what we can do with it. But um, yeah, below this video, you'll see all the links to Joey's website, um, his his uh, you know his social media accounts, um, where you can get more information on the catapult launching system. And again, um, one thing I really appreciate about Joey is that he's not just coming up here um, with ideas. As you can understand, he's a guy that is researched and, uh, you know, there's certain, certain ideas he's come up with that probably didn't, didn't work. And the guy's measuring and really trying to push the ball forward. And uh, I think a lot of people are starting to pay attention to, uh, to, to some of these teachings and, and getting more mainstream um, uh, attention and acceptance there. So congratulations to you and thank you for that. Thank you for your efforts. Um, cause there's so many people online just, you know, just throwing things out there and uh, are trying to get a lot of views and whatever. And, uh, you know, here's a guy right here that is, is, uh, I really encourage you to follow at home, um, because his, his research, his work is very genuine and we all appreciate all that sort of thing. So, um, with that, Joey, yeah, thank you so much for being here and uh, we'll be in, in touch with you soon. You got it, man. Thank you so much.